Hello and welcome to Self, the podcast that brings you real stories from builders across the country who are challenging their relationship with money. As a retired therapist turned money mindset coach, I truly believe that reframing the way we think about money can open the doors to a better future for ourselves, our loved ones, and our communities. Being in a relationship can be beautiful and challenging at the same time. Whether you're in the beginning stages or long-term partners, navigating life together takes communication and compromise, especially when it comes to money. The way you approach finances together can and should vary depending on your upbringing, debt level, spending habits, and so much more. That's why I'm so excited to sit down with writing, comedy, and life partners Naomi Ekperrigan and Andy Beckerman. Over the course of their 13 years together, they've made big career pivots, dealt with periods of unemployment, and they're currently facing what could be the ultimate trial by fire, wedding planning. Let's get into it. We met at the UCB Improv Theater in Chelsea, Manhattan, We were put on like a one-off team together to perform. Mm. And that's where we met and became friends. I was impressed by Naomi. She was very funny. Thank you so much, Andrew. I didn't have a thought yet on you. (laughs) Did you even know? Hold on. Did you even notice me? I wasn't there trying to beat no men. I was trying not to embarrass myself on stage. Mm. That's all. Well, mission accomplished. You were very funny. I made the mistake of moving to New York two weeks before the financial crisis in 2008. So I was heavily unemployed or (laughs) underemployed for a while. So I had a lot of free time to G-chat with Naomi. Yes, we would G-chat. I was at my job and I was bored out of my mind and Andy was at home and we would just talk for hours. Yes, my routine was just uh, exercising, doing like a little bit of yoga and then sending out 300 resumes and cover letters per day, desperate for a job so that I wouldn't have to sell more of my stuff to make rent. Have you always wanted to do comedy and writing and and be in the entertainment business, or did you have different ideas around first jobs growing up? Mm. I think that's easy for you, Naomi. You actually did, and you were conscious of it, correct? Yes. Ever since I was a little kid, I wanted to be an actor. That was first Mm -hmm. and foremost. And I, you know, growing up in New York, we would go to plays and stuff. And I remember thinking, I want to work on Broadway. I thought that was also the coolest job because also in my head, you only work two hours a day. <laughs> I was like, okay, you perform for two hours a day and then you're done. I was like, well, now that's the, that's the stuff, you know? I didn't know how it was possible. Again, mm-hmm. even the living in a city like New York where obviously people are <laughs> pursuing that, I didn't know how I would pursue it. I didn't understand how you made your way into the business, right? Mm-hmm. Like the TV felt like another world and I didn't understand how someone got on the TV. You know, you know, for a little while I thought, okay, well maybe I'll kind of do stand up, you know, like at shows, you know, bar shows and places well, you around. Have been doing stand up already, right? And it's just that like when But I didn't understand how you got to the professional level of it. Right. But I always saw it for you as like um evolution in a certain sense. Like you were already doing something and then the landscape changed. And so you the thing you were already doing like made more sense in that new landscape. Interesting. It's Darwinian, right? Ooh, it's Darwinian. Well, what about you though? Because you were a whole nother level. I mean, Andy was a college professor. So, I mean, how did he get here? How did this all happen? Oh, well, that was me trying to triangulate between my parents' desires for a doctor or a lawyer, (laughs) right? I'm like second generation. So they were the first generation to go to college. And then 
I have to improve upon that <laughs> and be a doctor or a lawyer. When I didn't, I, I was not aware. I was not very self-aware when I was younger. And I just knew that I, I, I kind of want to create things, but I didn't think you could do it. Again, coming from a middle-class Pennsylvania existence, there's no doors open to you. Unless hmm. by accident, you know someone that works exactly. in entertainment. You need to know someone. Not even just know them like to get in as much as like to know what's possible, right? If you don't see people around you doing the work, you're like, well, how does it get done? Right. Hmm. I vaguely knew that writing was a profession. Right, 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 right. Like, I, I mean, obviously, like, being an author, but, like, TV writing or film writing, I knew that it had to happen because they didn't exist. It wasn't improv, right? <laughs> but, like, I didn't know how you got from from not doing it to doing it. So I triangulated between my parents' desires and my own inchoate desires to, like, do comedy, whatever that meant. Again, mm. not understanding what that meant in any kind of professional way. And so those intersected at college professor because college prof <laughs> I was a philosophy professor okay I went to grad school at Temple because uh you have healthcare all right you have a paycheck that arrives regularly mm. <laughs> even though it's and very it's, very small even though it's very small <laughs> when you're an adjunct at least and so that was great that was great until it wasn't until <laughs> it was like this is not what I want to be doing and I had this crisis and then moved to New York to do comedy which is what and finally was honest with myself mm. like but but here's I got to stop living my life halfway between what my parents want and what I want because I just won't be happy. I, I, I could be happy, but I won't be fulfilled, if that makes sense. I think that a lot of people will resonate with that because we oftentimes see the end goal. We see the vision. We see what we want at the destination. But where we are is, is sometimes it, what feels like far off from that vision what did it feel like kind of being able to see across the water to what you wanted to have happen, but not know how to get there? What was that feeling like for each of you? Felt like hell. It felt <laughs> like death inside. Yeah, it was terrible. For me, it was definitely depression. I definitely felt like oh, wow. there is something I want for my life and I don't know how to make it happen. How do I not want it? Hmm. That's what I felt. Mm. I was like, well, I just have to not want this thing so much. And I have to be satisfied with the fact that this is what it's going to be working at this desk and being told I'm funny, I guess, and watching TV and wishing for it. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really very hard. Better people <laughs> would maybe be like, I was galvanized and I made a plan and I was good. You know, and there's certain people who certainly do like just pack up and move to LA or New York with that. But mm. I knew I needed stability. I knew I needed a job. I knew there was no safety net. Mm. Mm. That didn't feel like the way to go either. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it really did to me. It felt like, I need to stay safe until an opportunity presents itself. Cause I didn't understand what it would like I, the idea of leaving it all behind and going with a bag and yeah. just hoping for the best. Yeah. I think our lives were comfortable just enough that we weren't going to like move somewhere. I'm like there are standups who like, yeah, I moved to Chicago and I just slept on the subway for a couple weeks. <laughs> like I think that's Hannibal Burris's story or whatever. Yeah. Right. And I, we were comfortable just enough to like not want to do that. Mm. I feel like yeah. we're secretly like best friends because this is why I I, I went to school. I love this. Yes. Yeah, I grew up, you know, from a family of immigrants, but you know, it was you have a couple of job options. You could be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, you know, finance, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and and wanting to kind of soothe or satiate my family's desire for me to have that stability and what they thought would create stability, but me knowing right. that that was not gonna fit, right? 
And so I was like, well, mm-hmm. instead of music and performance, I'll go into psychology. And they're like, that still doesn't count. Um, and really, <laughs> and really Ooh. being able to say, okay, well, if I, if I create some level of stability, then maybe I can have the foundation of a sustainable income and still mm-hmm. go out for auditions, still you know, do some yeah. gigs here and there because I want to be an artist, but not the starving kind. And it sounds like y'all didn't necessarily want to be the starving exactly. kind. Exactly. Absolutely. And also Close to starving. Just, no, no, no. Starving. I want to be full. I want to be full <laughs> at all times. Um, but it was, and I think it was also because, you know, I think too, because I'd gone to school with wealthy people. Mm. I, my mother had also, I knew what it took for her to put me in that school. Yeah. The idea of me graduating <laughs> and then also graduating college and them just being out here struggling. You know what I mean? Didn't fit. Because of a dream, like meaning struggling by choice mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, coming on hard times. That was that was just not what that that isn't what I saw for myself either. Mm. And because just as much as New York showed me, wow, like the arts and this is what's possible, it just is it also showed me just how many talented people are out here who don't have the opportunity. Right. That was the other thing too. I would go to church and I would hear people singing like, you need to be on Broadway, but no, you up in church. And that's just a fact. Yeah. And that is something that also stuck with me. Hmm. So it was really, yeah, very hard to just say, okay, I'm going to go do the creative thing. So then kind of seeing all the things that you both did through your childhood, as you're growing up, having your first jobs, going to college, how has your relationship with money evolved over time? And then how did that shift into, you know, you being a couple? So the evolution of your relationship with money as individuals and then being able to create a mm. life with another person. Yeah. Do so you want to talk about, yeah, your money? Well, I always live very close to the bone. Again, middle class, but I not like I, I my parents were wonderful. They, I always had clothes to wear and food to eat. Great, but nothing really. I not a lot beyond that. I, I toys like too. Like I'm not well, trying to say that. Yeah, don't, I'm yeah, not don't trying to say, say it was way. a it's Spartan existence, but like I didn't have a lot of uh, spending money. You I started had, working at I, what fourteen or fifteen? I started working at supermarkets uh, to earn money, but like my parents wanted me to save that money for college, hmm. so they would give me twenty bucks a week, and that also accounted uh, for school lunches. So what I used to do, because I also wanted to buy a CD every week. <laughs> so to afford lunch and a CD, oh, which boy. at the time cost somewhere between $12 and $15. Listen to this, girl. I would eat, was it seven rolls? My lunches a lot of times were seven rolls, which you could get at the salad bar <laughs> for 15 cents each. I think it was seven rolls. I girl, think that's a dollar five. This man ate seven rolls. As a full meal. Yeah. That's a dollar five. Can we just with no. butter. With butter. <laughs> just, there was Let's butter. Not, I just need <laughs> there was butter on the roof. I need to step it out. <laughs> this is a growing boy hmm. with a brain to fuel. You think some common sense. And he said, not you know every what I'm gonna day, do. But just many days. <laughs> like four out of five. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, full on bread and water diet by choice. If I wanted a CD that week, if I didn't, I would eat normally. Probably. <laughs> Sometimes they had chicken nuggets, and we called those double nugget days. Okay. You would get two lunches, so okay. you could have more nuggets. Okay. okay. Uh, and I just wouldn't get a CD that week. But but you know, yeah, you yeah. really did keep it lean. Fifteen cents a roll. You were yeah. living a fifteen cents a roll life. Yes. Uh huh. So I learned to live kind of mm-hmm. lean. 
And in grad school, like my stipend was nothing. <laughs> right. So like my dinners, a lot of times were like, I was vegetarian or I am, but like I would have fake turkey on uh, rye bread, a side salad from a bag and some baked lay and then moved yeah. to New York. Didn't have, you know, had enough money for like two months of rent and then had to just scramble and, and get whatever job I could. So I learned to live very close to the bone, yeah. not spending much money and just like living like that so I could live my dreams, mm-hmm. let's say. And Naomi was not like that. <laughs> As a kid, I didn't spend too much money on stuff, but definitely like kind of when I got to college, mm-hmm. my 20s, it was it was more like being able to go to dinner with friends, being able to go to drinks. But I had a job. I was not doing that. Like I never asked for money. But that's why I needed to have a job so that I could go do that kind of stuff. You see what I'm saying? Like, that was very important to me to be able to, like, go and hang out with my friends. And, I mean, again, we weren't even going to fancy places. You know what I mean? We were doing the happy hour. We were doing the half-off bottles of wine. So it's not even (laughs) like we was anybody. But we were still, like, you know, we're out and about in the West Village. And we're, like, we're working girls. (laughs) Like, that was the – that's what it was. But – because I grew up with a single mother and because I grew up mm. with a very strong sense of that there was more, right? And not necessarily that I wanted it, but I was like, oh, did you know you could live in an apartment where the elevator opens up into your house? Ooh. You ain't know nothing about that life. And then you go and you see what's happening on Park Avenue and you're like, oh, there's more. And it didn't mean that I wasn't happy with where I was living, but it made me feel like when I was older, I wanted to be able to have certain Mm. things. And so because of that, I always felt like I needed to have a job. I needed to have money coming in. I was always doing something. I was like, you know, I was sign language interpreting. Then I was doing some freelance copywriting. I was still up in here babysitting. Like I would do whatever it took to keep the income coming in. Right. Full stop. That was always how I was, just something to keep me busy and able to take care of myself. Yeah, and me too, but just enough. See, this is where the difference is, right? Mm. I was, I always was working, but just enough, just enough to pay the bills, buy groceries. But real simple groceries, real no, simple avocado. Groceries. No, okay. no avocado. Okay. And just you know, make we're a plain. Like a handful of baby carrots <laughs> yeah. well, and some toast. And like, because when Andy and I first got together, he wasn't working. And then for a while he was temping, like a lot of our dates weren't really dates. It was a lot of just hanging out. Mm. Let's get a milkshake. And then at first, I remember at one point I was, I was nervous. I was like, you know, does he really like me or am I just the girl willing to come over and hang out again? Not because I want a man to spend money on me. Like I don't need that. But I think when you don't, until you know someone well, the way they show you is by an investment of their time and an investment of their money. Mm. And so without him really having to kind of shell out or doing it, I was like, does he actually like me or am I just like the easiest person to be with right now? And, you know, you made it very clear that that wasn't the case. But I remember that kind of made me nervous. And but then, like, you got a temp gig that was that was kind of settled. I want to say a year and a half into our relationship. So after two years together, we moved in together. And so that was our first foray into obviously combining finances and seeing what's up. And, you know, I. And this was the thing we've always had to contend with is like, cause Andy is used to living lean. And I was like, I need you to like get some savings up in here. Okay. I need a nesting. Like, and you I can't think, survive on celery. Exactly. I'm very, put that on a t-shirt. You can't survive on celery. 
And then you say it with a, you can't survive on celery, girl. And then everybody in the audience laughs. And it's like, it's like, what does it even mean? Um, But I had to, we had to learn and he had to figure out like, okay, now that we're a unit, my financial baseline is now your financial baseline. Yeah. This was, (laughs) this was legitimately like the first year of our couples therapy was that the baseline in a couple is different than the baseline for an individual Mm -hmm. for whatever you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And for us, it was financially right as a couple, we can't live. We can't live on a handful of potato chips, right? That's not it. Naomi wants real meals. Naomi (laughs) wants pasta. With, with a pe- sauce, with, with pesto, yes, a protein, honey, a protein. And I used to always tease him because I, because like when we were living together, I realized the extent to which you know when you're dating and the stuff you just see a couple times a week, and then you start living with someone, you're like, oh, you're like this all the time. Like he eats. I call his meals kindergarten snack because it will be this random collection of like a handful of ne- a handful of nuts, a handful of pretzels. Does that sound like lunch to you? We all have different baselines. <laughs> so because we've got different baselines, you know, to each their own. But in the process of joining your your lives together, <laughs> it sounds like you, I mean, I'm sure many couples have to, either they address it covertly or it kind of like goes undiscussed, I guess, right? But it sounds like y'all had taken the time to really invest in learning about what was going to make your relationship work. And how you could cooperate, collaborate, and and communicate to to figure things out. How I mean, I'm sure there's just like any relationship, challenges and rewards to that process. If you're open to sharing what some of those things were, as far as you were what you were navigating. Obviously, the baseline sounds like one of those things. Um, <laughs> but maybe you know, if there were any other challenges, share that, and maybe some rewards that came out of of that work too. I'll go right to the rewards part. I live a better life. <laughs> I live a better life. You're living fancy knowing, like, now. <laughs> uh-huh. He done leveled up. <laughs> I didn't have to eat yogurt for lunch. <laughs> I could have had a flatbread. I could have made a meal for myself if I really wanted to. I just was like not that hungry at the moment. But like I'm saying I could have mm-hmm. and I do. Yes. And I do. I will tell you this. Even though we have worked on our financial relationship, we still have separate accounts. Mm-hmm. We don't have a joint couples account. Mm-hmm. And basically, we just split the bills and money accordingly. You do that. I'll do that. Yeah. And it's not secretive. We know how much right, money Right, right, right. It's have. not. It's just more like, it just felt like another thing to maintain and make mm-hmm. sure you're putting in. And nah, nah, nah. and it was just like, just do what you can do when you can do it. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, auto pay, hook it up, hand it to business. But I, th- I think, I think, yeah, it was learning that because I, because I, this is the thing. If I have the money, I don't mind spending it on my partner on my friends, right. you know, when I have, it's not about, it's not a selfishness there. Exactly. So if I have it, I'll spend it. I'm not like you didn't mm-hmm. do such mm-hmm. and such, right? If I have it, it's more like if we're going to be a team, I need to know that in a time of stress or crisis, you got my back. Right. And that includes financially. You know, we have three pets. Mm-hmm. When one of these animals need a vet appointment, I need to know you can pull out your card and handle the business and like whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like that kind of stuff is important yeah. to me. And making sure that he's hearing that I don't think he's cheap, Mm -hmm. right? And this is not a personal attack as much as a, hey, the way you used to live, we don't live that way no more. And let's like, you know. Literally for over a decade, I 
was earning just enough to survive. Mm -hmm. And it's really difficult to get over it. Mm -hmm. Like the minute you're like, oh, I have to spend more than $20 on a meal. Like it's like this kind of like, uh, I don't like spending, like you say more than 20 meat. I don't like spending more than a hundred dollars at a time. Like anything more than a hundred dollars. I'm like, well, what is this? Is this required? Do I need this? I think we also, we plan it because I will say as much as I talk about how I'll spend my money, we've been together almost 13 years and we've very rarely been employed at the same time. Yeah. Uh That's just a fact. Like it's usually one of us who has it Mm -hmm. coming in and the other person doesn't at that time. And so for that reason, I am, I'm a really big saver. I save a lot of it. I almost like to the point where I don't touch a lot of it. So that then as you know, Mm -hmm. as we get towards the end of the year, that's when I start to get a little loosey goosey end of the year. I start to do stuff. Cause I'm like, okay, I pretty much know how it's going to shake out tax wise. And you know, I know what I'm doing now, but I tend to, and and that works for me actually. I actually don't mind, you know, having to be um more cautious with my money for months at a time and then when yeah. I know it's going to be okay or or I know okay this gig is going to come in mm-hmm. and now we can do it. But it took me a while to get used to that too because as you, as we said, it's people who were all about that regular paycheck. Right. That was also what was scary for me about jumping into this was this idea of like, well, how do you learn to deal with mm-hmm. the ups and the downs? It's just like, I don't know. And so it's taken me a few years to learn how to handle that. Yeah. I mean, I spent a large chunk of grad school calling my bank, begging them to take off an overdraft fee so that my balance would be positive. If that gives you a clue (laughs) as to like that, like getting emotionally getting over that is the pro was the problem. Yeah. Regardless of what, you know, your financial history is and just relationship with money, whenever we try to change something from one thing to another, it's going to take, you know, some time, energy and effort. But it sounds like you've been putting the work in on both ends to meet each other in the middle, have conversations, be open. And I think that that's maybe the most important piece, because when you don't have clarity and awareness of what's going on for yourselves individually and each other, it's so much easier to blame and it for it to turn to a fight. So as you're getting ready to become you know, a married couple, do you think much will change or do you think it'll kind of stay the same? Um, you know, when you think about kind of, I guess, like legally becoming a married mm-hmm. couple and joining your lives in that way. I think it's just a continuation mm-hmm. of the work we've been doing. Look, I bought that end table thing back there. What do you, you call that? Uh, that entry. I bought that entryway table. And for that's us. from a real store. <laughs> You really invested some money. Yeah. And even I was like, Andy, really? You know, when he showed me that thing, I was like, are you sure this is? And I said, it's going to revolutionize our entryway. We <laughs> needed it. It does make a difference. You know, it's really important. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, yeah. And it did, Naomi. It's true. Deny no, no, I that love it. it did no, not I revolutionize love, I love it, Andrew. I Thank love you. it. Thank you. Don't be bringing us on the self podcast and trying to adjudicate matters. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I don't think much will change. I think I like what we have in place. Mm -hmm. I think that we've also had a good, you know, because I think one of the things that does help us in this matter is that we do both have good credit scores because for, even if Andy didn't have his money, he made sure to pay them cards, you know, a little bit he could on time. You know, I'm not as concerned about, you know, in getting married, how will that affect? Cause I think we're on the same page that way. Um, cause that I know can be a tricky little thing of like, Oh Lord, I'm signing my name to your miss. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we are out of debt. We are out of debt, 
by before we got married. Yep. So you gotta love that. Well, yeah, we about to pay for this wedding though. Well, <laughs> Lord have mercy. That's that's the thing. I'm like, this is so hard. I don't understand. Like, it's such a trial by fire that, like, mm-hmm. for a couple, right? You're saying, I love you. Now, let's go through this thing where we have to spend so much money and deal and with both of And we want a modest our- wedding. Wait a minute. We want a with- modest Stop wedding. Yelling. But it's crazy that we've all agreed to gr- go through this <laughs> as sort of a plan for love. You know? It's like, you have to have a wedding. I'm like, why? Right. Why? It's like why? the test of the relationship, right? Exactly. Like, let's, let's take it through the ringer, come out on the other side. And, and see where it lands us. But maybe as one of the strengths, it sounds like, for your relationship. Because I think one of the mistakes people make is thinking that, oh, when we get married, then magic is going to happen. And, like, yep. something's yeah, going to no. shift. And the world is going to be different. And mm-hmm. if, if you've built a great foundation and, and you feel really good about what's going on, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Hello. Mm-hmm. That's the whole key. I mean, it's why when we got engaged, I was like, I want us to go to couples therapy. And again, I said, yes, mm-hmm. I was all in. But I said, OK, if we're going to do this for a lifetime, we got to stop having the same four fights. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, I don't want to have this fight 20 years from now. Right. So let's figure yeah. out the language around it. And that was the big one. Like, once oh, the money was like, the big one. Yeah. I mean, it's not that it's like ever goes away. But, like, we have figured out ways to navigate it at this point. And I think it, I think it really is, you know, I notice, for instance, for me, the anxiety flares up when, surprise, surprise, neither of us is working, mm-hmm. right? Like, when you, don't, when you don't know what's next, it's easy to just get nervous about everything. And so that's when we, you and I get nervous about, it's like, okay, what are you doing? And what are you working on? And what do you have coming in? And, you know, and I think over time, once you start to catch those patterns, it can be a little better. It's kind of like PMS. Mm-hmm. When I know it's about to come. Just disregard everything I say for three to five days. There you go. You mm. know, just knowing in advance yes, not that, to make any major decisions. Knowing that, that makes it easier on my end. I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm, a little attitude. <laughs> for the couples listening or for anyone going into relationships, what would you say as far as tips on how to handle the money conversation with a partner? Start by talking about what you are your fears, right? As opposed to going at your partner being like, you're not X, Y, or Z, or you don't do X, Y, or Z. Say, I'm worried about this in my future. Hmm. And that's how you get that conversation going. Uh-huh. That's what I think. And when your partner does that, don't ball up like an armadillo and emotionally repress everything and then scream. There you go. I would say be open. Be open Hot to the com- be open to the conversation. Right. Write down what you're worried about. Don't be afraid to share um, your income, like whatever, like, you know, if you're far enough in your relationship that this is even an issue to just say, like, this is what I've Mm -hmm. got. This is what I plan to do with what I got. Don't respond with anger and be like, I'll deal with it. Just just get off my back. Don't do that. (laughs) Can you imagine? What a sick, (laughs) what a sick scenario. I love it. It's full circle. Now you've given us both sides of the conversation. So either either side knows how to proceed with caution. (laughs) Okay, so you're going into a new season. It sounds like you've created a great foundation being together almost 13 years and having a great foundation. How do you envision things moving forward? And what do you really feel like you're going to be focused on, you know, as a couple and individually at this point? Hmm. Hmm. I think I find myself, though, currently sort of torn between sort of what I think should be accomplished at this age or at this juncture versus the fact that maybe I'm okay. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. In that, like, for instance, one of the big things is I've been feeling like we should get a house. Mm. Not like we should just go get one, but I'm like, that should be the next goal right. on our list. But at the same time, we live in Los Angeles, a place that is so beyond expensive. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't even look at those numbers. Like, even if I had the money, I wouldn't want to give it to you because of the principle. You know what I mean? I'd be like, uh-uh, this ain't worth this. Uh, not to get back into, like, philosophy professor mode, but uh, <laughs> you have the choice of what your existence is like at every moment. <laughs> and you have to choose if you want that responsibility. Deep. <laughs> okay. I think that we're all, you know, building towards something, right? And, for example, I, I feel like I'm very focused on connection and community. And I would call myself at this point a community builder. For y'all, if you had to say what kind of builder you are right now, what kind of builder do you think you would describe yourself as? A real selfish one. I am a (laughs) self-builder. I am. I will say honestly, because I think what I have been working on is... I've I've had self-loathing for a long time, mm. a lot of second guessing, mm. a lot of fear, a lot of feeling of being an imposter. And my new focus is like, as these good things happen in my life, I want to be able to enjoy them. I need to be able to see when they're here and enjoy them in the moment. And so that's what I'm really trying to build up. Like, not going to lie, you know, it's not as as. Um, what's the word as valuable maybe as building community, but it's certainly, I think the step I need to take. No self builder is genius because the community can't exist without each individual. You know what I mean? Have being built in and of themselves. So self builder is, is important. And if that's what for you is the focus, I think 100% you've got to be able to embrace and enjoy in the moment, the experiences that you're having Um, and give yourself credit where it's due instead of thinking it's a fluke or, you know, yes. whatever, you know, yes. whatever the case may be, you know, that you, these things are happening because you are skilled, because you are talented, because you are worth it, because you deserve it. So, no, don't, don't, mm, don't discredit okay, that, so, okay? Yes, we're going to clip that out, play that on loop. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, I needed that. <laughs> I was trying to think as you were talking, and I'm like, I'm halfway between you. So, obviously, community building is really important, but also I am a narcissist. <laughs> I I go between, I bounce between concentrating on myself and like doing things for me, writing, you know, trying to like work, get my ego out into the world through (laughs) works of art, Uh right? Concretize my ego into these works of art, these scripts, these (laughs) essays. That's such a bad way to put it. I would call you like literally like a type of a builder. I really think you are... Your focus to me, it seems, uh-huh. is that you are trying to build creative works mm. that other people could share in. Because you say it's putting your ego out, but I really think what you're trying to, what you're doing is kind of sharing your point of view yes. and trying to find like-minded people. Mm. That's a nice way of putting it. I always go for the harsh way, I but know. yes, I, th- I think that is more true, that I really want to make things that will connect people. <laughs> a creative filter. Yes. That's what it sounds like. I appreciate y'all because I think that so many couples aren't having the conversations that we just had today that you have been gracious enough to share with us and that more conversations like this need to happen, even for people that aren't maybe married or in relationships Mm -hmm. yet. We just need to have more of these conversations. So I just want to express gratitude around you being willing to do so and just showing up in the world as yourselves, because the more that 
people can show up authentically, it inspires and motivates and mobilizes others to feel okay to have what you mentioned, right? The validation, like the check mark, like, oh, that person's being themselves. Maybe I can be myself too in a certain mm-hmm. way. And so I just want to give you your flowers while I'm here chatting with you and, thank you so and say thank much. you. Oh, that's so much. And thank, thank you, you for giving us this opportunity and being open to hearing us rant and rave. <laughs> um, I think this is very valuable because it's so true. I think, I think especially with money, we were trained to be quiet about it. And mm-hmm. I think that that serves no one. Talking about is what frees you up because you learn, like, you know, because I think, I think as you said, whether you're in a couple or not, knowing your own wants, knowing your limits, knowing your vision for yourself, it sets you up. Mm. It sets you up to have that information. Self is hosted by me, Jacent Wamala. You can follow me on Instagram at Gems for money mindset, tips, tricks, and so much more. For Self Financial, Eileen Busing is head of communications and brand. Annie Rue is content marketing manager. And Alexandria Hatchett is senior compliance manager. For ACAST Creative, Shante Howell is our executive producer. This episode was produced by Ariana Thomas and Shante Howell with podcast art by Emma Spellacy. And for LWC Studios, Paulina Valesco is managing producer with mixing and sound design by Judy Bell Kamungian. <laughs>